I, I really, I really came into that situation extremely complacent, and I didn't think of those dangerous cues or those signs that were there. He were, it, he were clearly giving them off. As far as back when I had that feeling, I'm glad I moved. As far as back as that, you know, if I had to put that together, the call came out, how he was acting, hand in his pocket, his jacket, all of those dangerous cues that he was giving off. Maybe I could have done something different to maybe adjust my tactics or something like that, you know. So, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking about it. And um, I actually, I'll get to that part in a second too. Because me and him, we, I actually shot him with the taser too. We end up pulling a trigger on each other at the same time. Welcome to Game of Crimes. So uh, I get back on the highway, and like I said, uh, uh, the gentleman, uh, well, you know, gentleman, but a guy, Malcolm Moore, you know, he was still walking or whatever. And I just happened to look in my rearview mirror. And when I looked at it, I just had this, this funny feeling like, you know what? I'm glad I moved type feeling, but I didn't think nothing of it. He just, but he, it looked funny. It was weird because I, when I looked in my rearview mirror, he was checking over his shoulder, like, like checking to see where I was. You know, and but he would just he kept walking, but he was just like lollygagging around and checking over his shoulder. Hey, Quincy, when you were parked in the lot and he was walking towards you at the time, did you get a feeling of anything at that point? The way he was looking at you or the way he was checking anything? Did did anything trigger at that at that time when you first noticed him? No, he he was he was just walking normally. He didn't do anything. He like I said, I didn't I didn't see anything wrong. You know, I didn't have no feeling, no nothing, and he, it just looked like he was normal. You know, and. It was. It wasn't until I got back on the highway and looked in my rearview mirror and saw him checking over his shoulder. He was like kind of lollygagging around. He wasn't walking normal like he was when I first seen him. But when when I got because he made it to the area where I was sitting at and he was just like lollygagging around, just like, now nah, why are you slowly walking? But like I said, I had that feeling like I'm glad I moved type feeling. Like I said, but me, I'm not thinking. I'm you know what I'm saying. I'm, I wasn't thinking about it and they didn't pay no attention to it. So. Um, I, so I get to the north side of town, which is like 30 seconds. <laughs> and, um, I'm sitting in front, I'm sitting at the edge of town and the, uh, officer says she has the guy in custody. She's en route to the jail. The jail is 10 miles away in the city of Hampton, my hometown. So I was like, okay, now I can relax. All right. So like I said, um, I was just checking Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all of that type of stuff. And, you know, while I'm just sitting there being seen by the public, you know, let them know, Hey, I'm out here or whatever. So um, my dispatch come across the radio about what, 10 minutes later, maybe, maybe a little less. Hey, you got a uh, call about a black male with a camouflage hunting suit with a red bandana snatching stuff from people. Now in my mind, I'm thinking like, that don't sound right. I'm, I'm thinking like armed robbery or whatever reason that that's what the first thing I thought about. I don't know why it didn't sound right to me. So I asked my dispatch, I said, what was he doing again? He said, uh, be advised of a black male with a camouflage hunt shoot, red bandana, snatching stuff from people. I said, okay. Uh, I said, okay, this is about to be a, a bullshit call. You're probably drunk and want some more alcohol or something like that, you know, and not thinking it's the same guy that I just saw. Like That's what I was about to ask ago. you. Did you make the connection at that point that it was the guy you just saw 10 minutes ago? 
nope. I wasn't. I like I said, I, I wasn't thinking. You know, um, like I said, remember we talked about some of the things that carried over. Yeah, complacency. Complacency carried over from USC Buford. You know, so like I said, um, so I was like, you know what? I right, I'm head over there. So I I head back to that direction. Like I said, it takes about thirty seconds to get there. Um, just before I get there, I power my glasses on and I start recording before I pull up. And uh, I didn't see nobody in the front, so I circled around to the back of the store and uh, go inside to see if I could see him. And I noticed the guy they described off to the right, standing in a like a wooded area, you know, next uh, talking to a guy in a red uh, shirt or whatever. So I said, you know what? Let me go inside the store. To, let me confirm that's the one they're talking about. And, you know, and then we'll go from there because a lot of people, they wear a lot of camouflage hunting stuff in that area, too. So, so let me just confirm that. So then she said, yeah, the man, the, uh, the guy tried to snatch the man bottle of liquor, but the man fought him off and he jumped in the car and left. So I'm like, OK, so the victim's gone. So I really don't have too much of a, uh, a case right now. So the only thing I got now is a trespass if the owner wants some trespass from the store. Like, all right, let me go. Let me go talk to him. So I get back in my patrol car. And I drive over to his location and I get out the car, let dispatch know I'm out with that subject. <clears throat> and then I get out the car and I tell him, hey, come here, man. You know, just, hey, let me get your side of the story because my whole thing for this situation, this is what's going through, going in my head. I, I'm going to stop him, get his name, you know, check and see if he got any warrants, send him home. That was the whole thing. And I was, that's the only thing I was going to do, you know, if, unless he had something on him, of course, or whatever. But you know, the only thing I was going to do is just stop him, get his name, check, make sure he ain't got no warrants, and let him go. That's the only, that's it. And I was stuck in that. Now, when I was focused on that. So, uh, so once I got the car and um, start talking to him, tell him to come here, you know, he pretty much just ignored me. And that's a normal thing in Esther. Like, when you want to talk to somebody and, you know, try to get their side or investigate something, they'll keep walking away from you like they didn't hear you and ignore you. But as soon as you get close enough to them, you threaten with the taser or put hands on them and say, hey, stop or whatever. Then they'll stop and be like, what you want? Like, you know, so that's what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting anything else but that. I was so stuck on stopping him, getting his name, make sure he got the warrants, send him home. So, like I said, I kept giving him multiple commands, you know, to stop and he wouldn't stop. And then once I got close enough to him, I started, I saw his hand in his right pocket. Now, granted, um, I didn't, like I said, I still, I, I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like that he had his hand in his pocket, but I was not thinking that, hey, this is about to turn bad or whatever, you know. I'm not thinking he got a gun or anything like that. Well, and like let's, I said, I, let's stop right there before you get into that, because that's the one thing officers are faced with a lot of times. It's the use of force, right? So, like you said, you yep. had an ass. You could have had an ass out, but you also had a taser. Mm -hmm. Could have had a taser out or you could have had a weapon out. And a lot of people want to fault people. Well, you know, first of all, they say, well, you, why'd you pull a gun on him? Cause you couldn't see mm -hmm. anything. And then if you don't pull a gun and they're armed with a gun, then they go, well, why did you have your taser out instead of a gun? And it's kind of like, people don't understand from the yeah, time you originally, yeah. From the time you originally contacted him until this thing started to unfold. I mean, we're only talking about seconds, right? This doesn't go on for a long time. Yeah. Yep. It's only for only a short period of time, man. And like I said, like I said, um, so once I realized, you know, his hand in his pocket, I drew my taser. So I want to, I want to back up a little bit before I got back up into my, before I got in my patrol car. So uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, why didn't I 
draw my weapon and why did I draw my taser? So one of the reasons why I chose to draw my taser, um, the way the call came out, him snatching a bottle of liquor. It's not a call I'm going to pull my weapon out on somebody. I mean, basically, it's a shoplifting or, you know, maybe, you know, a low-level right. offense at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, petty larceny. That's what it would have been. Um, if if that, but like I said, the victim didn't didn't stay around. He left, and then he didn't report it. So not really much I can do other than trespass at this moment. So next thing, when I um next thing it is, why I didn't draw my weapon? He was just walking away. He wasn't fighting me. He wasn't trying to argue. He wasn't trying to you know hurt me anything like that at that moment. You know, so I didn't really have too much to you know say. Hey, I need to draw my put my weapon out. He was doing what other people had done to you already in the community before a couple hundred times with, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And the third thing. So when I got out of my patrol car, I don't know if you guys remember this incident in uh, North Charleston, South Carolina, where an officer pretty much shot a guy in the back running away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 Slager. I think his name is Slager. Officer Slager something. That kind of popped into my head because that was not too long ago before that incident. So I was like, uh, don't want to be the next person on the news for shooting somebody in the back. So well, anyway, so that, those are the things that popped in my head at the time when all of that was unfolding. So anyway, moving forward back to where I was. So um, I noticed his hand in his pocket. And like I said, I didn't like that feeling or whatever, but I said, like, you know what? I'm going to pull my taser out and, you know, give him some verbal commands with the taser. Then I'm hey, assuming... And, and Quincy, don't mean to interrupt you, but let's talk about that taser for a second, too. Talk about the jacket he has on. What are some of the things that are going through your mind with deploying a taser with somebody who's wearing a camouflage jacket like that? Well, see, that's the thing. Nothing was going through my mind when it came to that. Like I said, I wasn't I wasn't thinking. I made a lot of mistakes that day, and I wasn't thinking about all the other dynamics of the situation because that taser wasn't going to penetrate that jacket. He had a thick jacket on. So I was thinking, you know, hey, you know, once I give him so many verbal commands with the taser, he's going to stop like anybody else would do. You know, that's why I'm sitting there. And that's why I want to try to tell you, like, um, I, I, I really I really came into that situation extremely complacent. And I didn't think of those dangerous cues or those signs that were there. He were it, he were clearly giving them off as far as back when I had that feeling. I'm glad I moved as far as back as that. You know, if I had to put that together, the call came out how he was acting, hand in his pocket, his jacket, all of those dangerous cues that he was giving off, maybe I could have done something different to maybe adjust my tactics or something like that, you know? So, but yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about it. And um, I actually, I'll get to that part in a second too, because me and him, we, I actually shot him with the taser too. We ended up pulling a trigger on each other at the same time. So, but anyway. um, Did the spikes so, hit? Yeah, he drug my taser into the woods. Yeah, but they didn't but penetrate and hit hit skin at all. Mm-mm. Nope. So, so um, yeah. So anyway, um, uh, moving forward. So yeah, um, I gave him multiple commands to stop. I even threatened him with a taser, and he just still like ignored me. Like he didn't do anything. wasn't doing anything. But when I got close enough to him, he pulled the gun out of his jacket pocket and shot at me uh eight times. It hit me three times. You know, first shot hit me in the neck and it was so fast. Like I didn't, I didn't see a gun. I heard the bang and I felt the pressure on my neck and it felt like something flicked me in my neck, you know, but it was, it, but it was enough force to push me to the ground too. So, um, I knew I hadn't gotten shot and I knew that I needed like to get up and return fire and get some cover. 
So once I realized that, I got up off the ground and I ran back towards my patrol car because that was the only cover that I had. And so while I'm doing that, you know, um, like I said, also, so when that when he pulled that gun out, he did this quick reaction movement and and pointed it. And I, I ended up pulling the trigger. If you slow down my video, you see my taser doors blast open and the confetti come out and stuff like that. So, um, like he, he shot at me eight times. So the, he, he shot four times and I guess the taser like kind of scared him and he kind of pulled the trigger a little too early cause he was aiming for my head, but he pulled the trigger too early and he caught me right here in my chin and it took a downward path right here and entered right here. And, um, and for folks that are so described to us when you say, just give people a, a verbal description of where it hit. So it hits you below your chin, like on the right side. Yeah, so it hit just underneath my chin bone, and I guess it like grazed my skin and entered right next to my uh, trachea. Now it missed the trachea and it missed my carot- carotid artery, but Dude, it hit the vein. Uh, huh? I mean, I'm telling you, having worked stuff like that, I mean, the Lord was on your side that day because, yes, sir, you, I mean, a fraction of an inch, just one way, if you got hit with the carotid, it was game over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He missed the, he missed my carotid by millimeters. The doctor said millimeters. But I would, he hit and then I got shot with a uh, a nine millimeter ball point. If I would if he would have had a hollow point, he would he would have got me. The, the, I, when I, it hit and it expanded, it would have taken out your carotid when it went through. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It sure had. Was it a through and did it go through or did it lodge in your neck? So it uh he, it entered right there and took a downward path and to the right and it stopped just underneath the skin. Below my shoulder blade. Mm. So yeah, and, and so continue on. So I mean, that's you, like you said, it felt like a flick. You didn't feel any pain, right? It just felt yeah, like no. Yeah, I didn't feel no pain. It just something like, felt like something flicked me in my neck, and like I said, it pushed me to the ground. And then I know when I thought about it, you know, hey, you know, I got shot. I need to get. I need to start shooting back, and I need. I need to call for backup. So um, I got. I got up off the ground. And I ran back towards my patrol car. And um, while I'm running towards my patrol car, you know, I'm, I'm, my lapel mic shakes on my left shoulder to contact my dispatch. So I'm trying, I'm running and I'm trying to, you know, reach with my left hand to grab my lapel mic. But my arm, when I was running back, my arm was fu- felt funny. Like, so I kind of like when I lifted up slightly, I kind of glanced down when I was running back to my patrol car. The, uh, my, from the midway of my arm all the way down to my hand was pointing towards the ground and the forearm up towards my shoulder was pointing up towards the sky. So a bullet struck me in the arm and shattered both of my ulnar and radial bone. So I had no use to that. I, my, pretty much my muscles was just keeping my uh, arm together. So I started panicking. I started immediately panicking right there. And I'm trying to like, okay, I need to call, I need to call my dispatch. And all this happened in a matter of milliseconds. I'm thinking about all this running back towards my patrol car. So I try to use my right arm to grab my lapel mic and reach across. Unfortunately, the bullet that hit me in the neck, it damaged all the nerves in my right arm and I couldn't, I couldn't lift that up for so, so high. So I couldn't reach my lapel mic with my right arm. So in essence, it felt like I had no arm. That's what it felt like. So uh, I was able to get back to my patrol car and what I did was I used my body weight to throw my right arm up under the door handle and open the car door using my body weight. And I was able to get inside um, of my patrol car and use my in-car radio to uh, call my dispatch by, you know, pushing the emergency button. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm letting dispatch know shots fired. I'm hit, you know, I'm, I'm hit. 
I need help, please. You know, and I'm, I ain't gonna lie. I'm, I was pleading to, I was pleading with dispatch to help me because I, I, I felt defenseless and useless. You know, I couldn't do anything and I don't know where he went at. I know he took off and went to the woods, and, but I don't know if he was coming back. You know, I couldn't use my arms for anything. I, I could only lift my um, in-car radio mic up to here to my chest. I had to talk like this to my dispatch. So even if you had tried to, where, now on your Dodge, where is your gear shifted? Is on the is it on the column or is it on the center console? It's on the column. So even if you had tried to put the car in drive or reverse or get out of there, you would have had a difficult time getting the car in gear, yeah. right? Yeah. I would have had to find a way to try to throw my body, my arm up, but I can't, you know, it's tight space. You can't really, you know, move Plus you too got much. all your gear on and everything too. Yep. So, um, yep. All of that. Did you have enough control in your right hand to pull your weapon? N- no, I, I couldn't, Man, I, could, I, could, I could I couldn't, I couldn't lift up like this. I could, I can barely, like I said, lift. I had to use my body weight to lift my arm up like this and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I didn't have no use of anything, man. Uh, you know, and to your point, this is reminiscent of, of, uh, of, uh, Kevin Apollinas. Uh, no, um, uh, Claudius. Oh, Claudia Polinar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she had both arms broken and was able to put a tourniquet on her partner's arm who'd been shot as well. But it was, it was difficult. She shot through the jaw, through the arm. He was shot really bad in the arm and, you know, trying to get that tourniquet on. But man, I'll tell you, that's, that's one of the things it, it'd be one thing is if your right arm was still serviceable, as they say, you were able to pull a yeah. weapon or defend yourself. But when you're to that point, it, it feels like now you're like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's like, you got, you got nothing yeah. there. You got legs, but you got no arms. And w- just the feeling of thinking you have to throw your body weight to open up the car. I mean, but you do what you got to do to survive. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, but you huh? say one thing on that though. And I want to ask you about that. You do make, and this is a statement we've heard from other officers, especially ones that died. Um, they say, tell my family, I love them. What, what Yeah. to that point after you've been shot, what made you think that was it the the shots to the arm or at what point did the shot through the neck start bleeding enough or start becoming noticeable enough that you'd notice that you've been shot through the neck now? Well, I never did. I knew I got shot in the neck. I never, like, saw a whole lot of blood. So, thing about it is, the doctor said, he testified that, you know, when I when I got shot, my my vein immediately clotted. That's what kept, kept, it kept pressure and it sealed my vein, and I didn't have a lot of blood bleeding. But when I got to the operating table, that's when it burst open. So, like I said, a, a miracle right there, man, a, a blessing. But, um... So it, it was at this one point, you know, I thought, think, I, I, but I didn't see, I didn't know all of that. I'm thinking in my head, I got shot in the neck. He hit that major artery. I'm about to bleed out any second right now. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, this this probably about to be the end. So I was a dispatch. I want I want my family to know that. Listen, like I'm I'm thinking of you guys, you know, at this at this moment right now, you know. So, you know, I. I know y'all gonna be I, in my mind. I'm like, I know y'all gonna be sad, but just know that I love you guys, and I'm thinking, I actually thinking of you in my last moments. So I wanted dispatch to let them know that I was thinking of them in my last moments. You know, um, how much pain were you in right now? Physical pain, right now? No, I mean at, at during the point, shooting. At that point, I still had no pain. Like I, I didn't have pain until I was actually on the right on the way to the hospital. Because a lot of times the shock will do that. The 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 initial shock, yeah. just you don't feel that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I never. And the reason yeah. I ask that, and for our listeners, if you don't know this, his his video from his glasses is on YouTube. 
So just you can Google Quincy we'll, Smith. We'll, we'll put it in the episode notes when we when we put this out. Yeah, and and uh, your voice. I mean, initially the initial reaction. There's a lot of excitement, but when you're at your cruiser, and then uh, not to get ahead of your story here, but listening to you talk to dispatch, your voice is about as calm as it is now. So, and I'm thinking, holy cow, this man's been shot, and then you're you're you've got your composure about you. So and another thing too. So um, I get at some point just before um, I gave that statement, you know, tell my family I love them. So I had a flashback like I was sitting there and for I, I can't tell you where it came from, man. I had a flashback and it took me back to my senior seminar class in college where my research was. And then my research was people's perception of police. And for what I did for my research, I made a collage of videos of good things police did, bad things police did, uh, dangerous things and dangerous things they encountered, such as getting shot, stabbed, and all that type of stuff. And what I would do, I would give, I would get people's initial perception before they watch these videos and after they watch these videos. That is a great, that is a great project. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing it, you know. But you know, say I, I've seen a lot of videos, man, and. Like it really, it did have me thinking like, dang, do I really want to get in law enforcement? You know, but I still had that drive. I still want to do it. But anyway, for whatever reason, it's just one video that stuck out to me and it popped in my head when I was sitting in that car and it was a trooper out of uh, uh, Tyler, Texas, then with Trooper Stone. Pretty much he stops the car and two cars, he finds drugs and alcohol and guns and stuff like that. When he was about to arrest, you know, the driver, the, him and the driver was on the passenger side. And he had a passenger in the, inside the truck. The passenger pops the door open, distracts Trooper Stone, and Trooper Stone loses a control of the driver's hand. Driver reaches in his front waistband, pulls the gun out as well as the passenger, and pretty much end up shooting point-blank range in the face. Shot him like 20 times, and you can hear him on the radio, you know, help, help, and this and that, and, you know, telling, telling his dispatch, help, I've been shot, Tyler, I've been shot, this and that. For whatever reason, that popped in my head. And at the same time, Something in my mind told me, he said, listen, you need to control your heart rate and control your breathing. Slow your heart rate, control your breathing. And for whatever reason, something clicked. And it's just like, that's what I started focusing on. I started focusing on, you know, controlling my breathing, trying to lower my heart rate. And that's pretty much where that came from right there. It was unbelievable. And then... (laughs) I just got to say this because I've been dying to, to hear your story here after I watched this video. In fact, we were recording this morning and I was telling Morgan about what I was watching today, but um, I'm watching the clock on your video and it's like 10 minutes before I hear the first siren coming. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, when you're in, and when you're in dire need like that, 10 minutes is like 10 days. Yeah, I mean, it's a lifetime. It seems like an hour. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. It's well, a terrible feeling. So. Let's step through that for a little bit because you're back in your vehicle now. You're obviously scanning there. You're wondering if this guy is coming back. They've got help that's coming on the way. Where is help coming from at that point? What do you hear, at least over the radio? Because your nearest backup's got to be, what, 10 miles away or something? So, yeah, the first unit that first unit that I remember uh, responding that came with the radio was Hampton. They're called hotel units. When my best friend also works at too. Thank God he wasn't working that day because he they they didn't even they wouldn't even tell him what was going on. They told him to get dressed and go to town. But anyway, um, uh, they as soon as they, as soon as that mercy button come on, 
everybody in the woodwork started popping up. I'm dispatch. I'm 17. Dispatch this, that. I'm 17. I'm on the way. I'm on the way. And you know, like I said, hotel units, Hampton PD, they were the first ones to to get there and, and render aid. And, and it was cr- f- the funny thing is, there's a guy that they just hired. That was his first day, too. So he he, he got <laughs> yeah. Wow. And let's let's say he's not he's not an officer no more too. So by the way, well, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that in a second. But let's talk about that intervening time. What are you doing during that time? Like you say, you're trying to stay calm trying to control your breathing and your heart rate. What kind of things are are going on? Because look, like Steve nailed it. it. 10 minutes is an eternity at that point. You think two minutes is a long time? 10 minutes seems like forever. What was it? What were you doing during that 10 minutes? I was focused on my breathing. So um, in the video, you'll see a bystander, Mr. Jay Tompkins. He was actually working on the convenience store in the, he was a carpenter working on their bathrooms for them. And he said he just happened to get a tool. He was going to his truck to get a tool out. He saw me, you know, trying to stop the guy. Oh, excuse me. But he didn't, um, he didn't, he wasn't thinking nothing of it. He grabbed the tool, was about to walk back. And then, you know, he heard the gunshots and he looked around. He said, I was acting funny. So he thought he had originally, initially thought I shot the guy. So when he came over to, he said he came over to, to check on me to make sure I was doing everything right. Like, you know, I wasn't trying to cover nothing up. And then we look, he saw me. He's like, oh, sh-. he shot. And, he's like, and then so he tried to do the best he can. He's like, I, I don't know no CPR or, or no first aid. Like, you know, what can I do? I was like, can you just talk on the radio for me, man? Or whatever. So I tried to tell him some things to talk, to tell them, to let them know what they needed to know. And, you what know, you he's like him? trying to. Yeah, tell us. No, who um, Given the description of the suspect, your status, what are you what are you trying to communicate yeah, just, at that just, point? Yeah, just giving them my status, and because at one point I like my chest felt like it was like getting crunched in for a little bit, and it felt tight. And I was telling, I was like uh, telling them, "Hey, just tell, can you tell them I'm, I'm having trouble breathing, or whatever?" And I said, "Can you help me get my vest off?" He helped me get my vest off, and he's like, "Just, just, just, just uh, be calm, man." He he tried his best. He, he I would say him being there just kept me calm, man. Just you know, listening to me, just honestly. And what I what I tell people, he was just pretty much being a friend until I passed away. That's pretty much what I felt like he was there for, you know, just give me comfort me as much as he could. Because he uh, was giving words of encouragement that yeah, he really was. Yeah. And uh because when I took the vest off, he said, where you shot at? I said, as I say, uh, where my shot? My shot in the chest. He he said, Oh God, no, it's in your neck. Like he saw it because my they said my neck was like filleted open. Like he can see my trachea. Like, yeah. So because that kind of alarmed me a little bit. I said, oh, that, he kind of panicked, but he, 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 he called me back down again or whatever. And then he started, you know, like, just, like I said, just talking to me on the radio, telling him, I guess, tell dispatch updates or whatever. I tell him, try to tell him to tell him. And, um, you know, and he, uh, like I said, that's pretty much, I was just trying to focus on my breathing and, you know, my heart rate, trying not to panic, trying not to elevate my blood pressure and anything like that. You know, because I, I honestly, I, because the doctor said I should have been died in like seconds, honestly. If he would have hit my carotid artery, I didn't think I, I wasn't thinking about that. I'm thinking about okay, I'm, I'm bleeding out still. I'm about, I'm gonna be dying in a second, and but no, I never did. And I thank God, praises to him, man. Because like I said, he he kept me, he kept me. So you're going through that. Tell us about what it what it feels like now when you hear the sirens coming. How does your mind change? How does your attitude change? Now you're starting to hear the sirens coming before the first hotel unit from Hampton shows up. Listen, it was a sigh of relief. Like, I'm like, okay, man, listen, I can't explain to you 
how good to hear those hear that noise. You know, like just like I say, they're almost here and I'm still alive. Like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna work on me. They're gonna get they're gonna stop the bleeding. They're gonna do everything they can to get me to get me right. So, you know, hearing that hearing the siren there, hearing the siren and knowing that I'm still awake, listening to it, it's like, yeah, okay, I can relax a little bit now. I don't have to panic because someone is here. They're gonna they're gonna stop the bleeding. So that that was that was my mindset. That's how my that's how my whole attitude changed. And then my family ended up coming up too. Um, uh, in the video, if you listen to it, you know they they started asking me questions. They were they were in a panic because I didn't show. Went, I'm gonna little sidebar to this. So my family is very nosy. <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they listen. How did so they, they find have out? A, so my family they have a, a police scanner inside the house. So they hear all our radio traffic. And oh, that stuff, has and all to that suck to hear that. <laughs> so, but yeah, they, they, um, cause you, the plan was, I was going to come by and eat with them later on. Cause they stayed literally like what? 0.3 miles, 0.2 miles down the road from the location. And what time of day was this when this happened? Man, this was like 10, 11 o'clock during the, in the morning. So they heard all the commotion. They knew I was working, but they didn't realize, you know, what was going on they knew i they knew i was working but they didn't think anything about me so i guess they of course being nosy they wanted to see what was going on you know and when they got there they saw me laying on the ground and they started running up calling my name and you know mr j Com- mr tompkins trying to you know keep them calm and as well as me tell them you know just keep them calm like he's breathing just you know and like i said um they came over and said a prayer over me and you know and i I think that's another part of the reason why I'm still here. Yeah, the 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 first female there was extremely excited. Yeah, and and I'm listening to it on YouTube, and I'm thinking, just cool it, just be quiet. You, you know, he's he's doing good. He's doing good. Yeah, but you know, but th- you got family members there, and that's why I say you hear yeah. that. That's the yeah. bad part oh, about yeah. they hear things over the scanner, you know, and then you do this. Yeah. But so let's talk about what happened when the first officers got there. What did they do with you? What did they do to you? So first things first, they, they, um, Brad Draudy, man, love that guy to death, man. Um, he he was uh, one of the first guys that got to me. First thing he said, Quincy, you okay, Bubba? I remember that. I was like, yeah, man, I'm good, man. Like, like get my glasses, secure my glasses. My body camera is on it. You know, whatever. So let's stop right there. Um, when did you real? When did it str- When did it trigger in your mind? That I I got this all on video. I mean, uh, because did, now did your glasses come off during that, or did you have them on when you got back into the car? Yeah, I had them on the whole time. That whole time, they never came off or anything. Like I had them on while I was laying on the ground, all of that type of stuff. Uh, I guess when the, when the ambulance and stuff, um, when it was working on me, I realized, that, oh shoot, my body camera, my glasses. Hey, get my body camera, my glasses. My 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 video was on my glasses. Get it. And they they took it, they put it on my um um my um seat of my patrol car, and then while like I say while they was working on me trying to get me I guess everything stabilized my arm and you know whatever um they put me in the ambulance and they say how how do we how do we look at the video I said the cord is inside my car you got to hook it to the arm or something like that you got to hook it to the arm and plug up to the computer you'll be able to get the video or whatever and it's like all right and then so while I was uh, well, I got loaded to the ambulance. They drove me off. They ended up watching the video, and they, I guess they paused it where he turned around and fired at me. And um, they were able to get like a, a still shot of it and print it out and started passing out to other officers. And from my, from what I was told, man, they had over a hundred officers packed into a three square mile town. 
So they had offered they had officers from outside the state, for even from even from Georgia coming, Georgia High Patrol on the way coming to help out and find the guy. And uh people from an hour and a half to two hours away coming to help out and stuff like that. So, you know, when that when that emergency button went off, a lot of people in the surrounding areas heard it and it it came through their radio channels and they started sending people. Everybody started coming in. That's the way it is, man. That's that's the law enforcement culture. We're going to help one of our own. Yeah. How'd that make you feel knowing that all those people are coming and nobody knows who Quincy Smith is? Man, man, I can't even I can't express to you how how good that felt. To like you know some somebody people care about me. You know to know that you know I got people that don't know me that's willing to come help me and you know help get this situation under control and you know help help give me medical care and stuff like that, man. Like. I'm beyond, beyond blessed and thankful, man. Like I, I, I really do. People understand. Like I, I really do appreciate everyone who was involved in that day, man. I, I even went out and called a few uh, agencies. I don't know if I got to call everybody, but I called a few p- main people that was there, the surrounding counties and stuff, and talked to the sheriff and told them thank you, thank the officers and people that I've seen, um, throughout the time, just thanking them for coming to me and helping me, man, because that really meant a lot to me. I got I got goosebumps here just <laughs> thinking about what you went through. And, and I kind of want to make a point. I want to make it delicately, but I think it's something that's got to be said because a lot of times cops do get a bad rap. They think, like you were saying, somebody accused you of being racist, and here you are, black guy. Yeah. Nobody stopped to ask what race you were. Nobody stopped to ask what gender you were. Nobody stopped to ask nope. what your you know what your preference was. All we heard was officer down and people got in got yep. into it you know and they said we're coming to help it doesn't matter who you're one of ours you wear a badge you know we're here to help yeah yeah that's it that's that that's what and i gotta tell you man being in retirement that's what you miss you miss that camaraderie that brotherhood yep. and that sisterhood that goes along with it if i could show you that same yep. thing dude i got goosebumps just sitting here talking about this stuff because it's like <laughs> th- th- but you know what yeah. this is this is what this is what you're sworn to do. And and the other thing too, people go, well, how come you don't get this kind of response to, you know, like if a citizen got shot? And I think what we got to do is let people know is that if you are an armed individual and you're willing to shoot an armed, well-identified police officer, you will shoot other innocent people. You won't stop anyway. to do that. So that's why this person has to be taken out, found. I don't mean taken out like literally in case, unless they want to accommodate us, but um did, I heard it as DSAF did society a favor if they did society a favor. But, um, but the point is that if they're willing to shoot innocent civilians um, or uh, cops, they're willing to shoot innocent civilians. And that's, we got to yeah. stop that at all costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and why is this guy out on new year's day? I mean, there's not a lot of people out. Why does he feel the need to be out there with a gun? It's not because he's a good person. You know, yep. I mean, is he worried about somebody attacking him? Or is he out there planning crimes just like he was committed? That's just the beginning of what yeah. he was going to do. That yeah, day. and and I know you said that you felt kind of felt from complacency, but you know I think the one thing you did, looking back on it, I want to talk about going to the hospital. We're going to get into your rehab and getting back to work, but reflecting on this right now, if you had stayed sitting where you did and then not left, do you have an idea? Do you have any inkling in what he might have done or what might have happened? Oh yeah, I thought I thought his whole intention was to shoot me sitting in the car. That's what I, I don't know, I, but thinking about it and thinking about that feeling that I had and how he was acting when I looked at my rearview mirror, I think the whole intents and purposes was for him to shoot me, period, that day. And thinking about it now, you know, I talked with some people about it. They believe, honestly, it was a setup because 
look, it kind of now everything kind of looks like he lured me back to that area. Because if you was going someplace, you was walking out of town, you know, and then all of a sudden you go back to the liquor store and do something and then you stay around and then I come to talk to you. Do you pull out a gun to shoot me without warning? Well, look, the number of ambushes on police officers gone up, you know, like year over year. This is not uh, folks are thinking, oh, that's just a fairy tale. No, it's not. There are people out there who are making calls to lure you in. Um but let's well, and this is a, this is a perfect example about you don't have to be in New York City or LA no. or Houston or mm-hmm. any major city throughout the United States or anywhere in the world for violence to be you know dealt out on a police officer. Yep. Here you are in in Estelle Estel is yep. that how you say it? Estel, yeah. Estel, South Carolina, one officer on duty, and here's a a, a jackass. I mean, a, a legit bad guy looking to kill a, a, a police officer just out trying to do his job. Well, let's violence. Oh, yeah. No. And but look, the, the moral of the story is, is that, you know, one of one of the guys is free and one of them's not, uh, you know, and you survive, obviously. But let's talk about that road now, because now now they've got they're they've got the picture. They're looking for this guy, but you're headed to the hospital. What's you know, what's what's the ride like and what's it like when you get to the hospital? What happens? So um, I don't remember too much as far as when I got to the hospital because they put me under. But um. Where where, so, where is the hospital? Where do you have to go? Savannah, Savannah, Georgia is a fifty mile ride. You had to go across the wow. state line to get to a hospital. That that was the closest. There was they were going to they wanted to airlift and they called for a chopper, but apparently the weather was too bad. I don't remember. I remember it just being a little cloudy, but I don't remember you know weather being bad. But um, they they said they couldn't they couldn't use the chopper or whatever, so they load me in the ambulance, drove me to Savannah, Georgia. I bet you had an escort. escort. Yeah, they're thinking the same <laughs> way, man. I'm like, yeah. better, there are better than a police escorts. Like, get the hell out of the way, people. I think so. I think so. I'm not sure. Because um, I think everybody was still tied up. I'm pretty sure somebody, they probably did. I don't remember. But um, uh, I know I did. I did actually call my mom from the ambulance. I asked, well, before I even did that, I was like, hey, man. Because I, I, honestly, I still, I still kind of had a little feeling like, like I'm, I'm not going to make it. But I felt better being in the ambulance going, and I was asking the paramedics. I was like, listen, I want you, don't lie to me. Am I going to make it? Does it look bad? He's like, yeah, yeah, man. You, you look fine. It's fine, man. Like, you're, you're good. I said, man, don't stop lying to me, man. I know I know, I got shot. <laughs> no, for real. I literally <laughs> would tell him. I said, like, stop lying to me. I know it. I know it. I know it's bad. He hit me in the neck. I know it's bad. Tell me the truth. He's like, no, you're going to be fine, man. I'm like, all right, man. I said, listen, can you get my phone out my uh? If I my die, bag? I'm going to come back to life and kick your ass, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I right, can you get my phone out my um, out my um, my, my clothes, man. I need, I need to come. Can I, I need to call my mom or whatever? So because I know, I know my mom already heard. Someone already called her, and sure enough, she did. I heard on the phone. I mean, my mom, she's livid. Like she's so many emotions going through her crying and stuff like that. I'm like, mom, listen, I'm alive. I am fine. Okay. I'm on the way to the hospital. Okay. I see you when you come down or whatever and whatnot. So, so yeah, so I, I spoke with her. I had to calm her down a little bit and her and my stepmom and whatnot. And, you know, she, she felt a lot better after hearing my voice and not knowing what was going on. So, cause I, I listen, one thing about my mom, man, listen, if y'all ever, ever heard about my mom, she, she, <laughs> she runs the city. I'm telling you. <laughs> she listen she will she is crazy <laughs> in, a, in a good way and bad way 
Well, when, I mean, you know, you got a, you got a mother's love. Is, yeah. There, there's nothing in the world like it. Oh, yeah. And her baby. You're an adult man, but you're yeah. still her baby. You know. Oh, yeah. But oh, you yeah. know what you got coming, too, when you get better? You got an ass chewing coming from mama. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah, but but anyway. But yeah, but go back go back to the so you you don't remember much. You, you but you call her on the way. How long does this conversation last? Honestly, I don't remember. I don't like I said. I I didn't talk much now. And on the way, this is where the pain starts to set in, like really heavy. The pain started coming when they was loading me to the ambulance, and when they started putting the brace on my arm. But now on the ride there, the pain in my arm. And I didn't really have no problems with my neck. The only issue that I had with my neck was my muscles in my neck was so tired because I don't know why I felt like I was holding it up, but I wasn't, I guess, because of the the bullet, what it did, it like, you know, made it, but it had like my neck so tired. Even I was laying down, like my muscles just like so tight. So, um, but my arm, oh my God, that, that was extremely painful. I had the, the pain just shooting me in my arms and I was like, I couldn't do it. They had to call, I head to the hospital to get approval to give me fentanyl or whatever, to help me out with the pain and stuff like that. Damn. Yeah. Now, were like, they through and throughs, or did the, did the bullet stay in your arms? No, the bullet in my arm through and through. And I want to say, oh, yeah, and also, so I did end up getting hit a third time, too, in the hip. However, that, that bullet, uh, my magazine holster, where I keep my ammo at, it stopped it from penetrating. So oh. I, got, I, got, I got blessed on that again, once again. <laughs> Dang. So, so yeah. you hit three times, not four. Were you hit four times? Three, just three. He, but he I mean, fi- if I was, yeah, he sh- he fired eight rounds, but hit you three times. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. So um, I think I think what happened was, like I said, remember when I pulled the the, the trigger? We pulled the trigger on the taser each time. I think I kind of like caught him off guard because he he like I said he got struck with the taser and it kind of like threw him off and then he couldn't get recentered on his aim or whatever because by that time. Um, I was getting up, running back to my patrol car. So now, at the time, I was a moving target, or whatever. So, and and, and he then, didn't yeah. know what the status of your right arm was. So he's thinking you might be able to pull and draw and yeah, you know fire yeah. on him. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember as you're as you're getting back to your car? Do you remember him still shooting at you? Yeah, yeah. I kept hearing the shots behind me. Um, I heard at least I heard at least I th- I heard at least I think he shot two more times or four more times. He shot. So he shot me twice, twice, so eight times. Can't remember how how it all happened, but I, I I remember just hearing at least two more shots when I was running back. But I had just got up off the ground and started running. I heard two shots, and I think the I think the uh, defense attorney said the prosecutor said he fired four rounds after I got up off the ground, or whatever. So yeah, any round strike watching that video. What? Watching that video, you were scrambling. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. God bless you. I'm glad you did. Any that, rounds hit your patrol car? No, not that I know of. Well, thank God for oh, that, right? Got to keep it. That would have been a death sentence right there. I, hit that new I, cruiser. You would have had 200 <laughs> cops in that area instead of 100 cops. He shot the charger. He shot the charger. Activate <laughs> FBI HRT. Yeah. Oh, Every trooper in the United States would respond. Fucking I, I would have got back in uniform and come down if I'd heard that, man. <laughs> Um, so you get to the hospital and like you say, the pain start to, the pain, I mean, it's starting to set in now because I think the initial shock is wearing off and yeah. so how long before you, so, but that, it took 10 minutes for the cops to get there and that seemed like a lifetime, but that ambulance ride had to seem like a decade. I honestly, I can't, I can't remember if, if to me, it seemed like it was short because I was so focused on other stuff because I remember pulling into the, 
because I never lost consciousness at any point. So I, I it, it, because like I say, it's a fifty mile ride, and a fifty miles is pretty. That's pretty much like a forty minute to an hour ride. So, and I know they've been they've been pushing like seventy and eighty in the ambulance or whatever. So they were riding. So I, I don't know. I can't even tell you how long it was to get when it, it took for me to get there. You know, I just remember arriving there. They rolling me in. They took me off of of the the, the stretcher, put me on a table, and I guess ran me through the little MRI mach- MRI machine. I oh no, no, that. you're bypassing the fun part. They put you on. They got to start cutting everything off. Oh man, they cut everything off when I was on the ground outside in uh, Esther. Oh, they did. <laughs> I yeah, was, yeah that, that, I was already butt ass naked. <laughs> 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 and where you're saying, "Hey, no, no jokes, people, no jokes," you know. No, for real. <laughs> so, but were you were you really were you were you totally naked out there on the ground? No, I wasn't naked. I st- like I st- they cut my pants off and my shirt off. Um, I think I, I think they left my underwear and stuff on. But yeah, I was already. Oh yeah, they had because they needed to know where all my injuries were. Yeah, they needed I to check it for bleeds I, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they they checked everything, and like I said, they rolled me over, checked my back. Road put me on a stretcher now and also like i said the bullet actually i lied so the bullet it stopped underneath my armpit they said actually and then it shifted to my uh lower shoulder blade that when so, they yeah. rolled you yeah i think so when they did all of that so yeah but you know what on that on the ride in once they give you a, a dose of fentanyl you probably didn't care about a whole lot after that <laughs> <laughs> that's stronger than morphine, man. I've had morphine listen, one time, and it was, ooh, oh, that's pretty good I, stuff, I, you understand. I, listen, I'll tell you a story about morphine. I love the morphine. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, so, well, we all have a morphine story. I broke my nose in the patrol academy like three days to go, and I take an elbow to my nose, and it moves it like underneath my left eye. And oh, so they man. have to go in and reset my nose. And would I get a needle under each nose, kind of going up at an angle. <laughs> I got oh, morphine, oh. so they could do what's called the closed reduction. They moved my nose back into place, like put two huge knitting needles in there, and then moved my yeah. nose back over. And I was like, that morphine is like, hey, this, where do you get this stuff? Can I get this yeah, in game no, no, For real. It's going to do what? Who cares? <laughs> Listen, so when I, when I was in the hospital, you know, after I had all the procedure, the uh, ER, emergency procedure, and stuff like that, you know, I was in the hospital for, for a week and some time. Anyway. You know, and like I said, my arm, my arm would cause me so much problems. I had like four or five surgeries anyway. Um, that I, I used to talk to doctor. I say I need something. Like I'm extremely in pain and whatever. So they took this little needle, put it inside the IV, and that thing, and it dripped down into the needle. And next thing I know, I feel like some ice cold just going up my arm, man. And it just made me like sink into the bed like this. It's like oh. That feels Dude. good. Now, I, I, listen, I understand addicts and why they feel, but... <laughs> but let's not skip over too much. We're, we're skipping over a lot. So let's go back to the yeah, uh, yeah. surgery. How long are you in surgery, if if they tell you later? I don't remember. I, I don't remember how long I was in surgery for, honestly. Um, all I know is it was daytime, and I, I, I could have sworn when I woke up, it was nighttime or something like that, getting close to dark. What's the first thing you remember when you wake up? I had my family there. I was like, uh, I don't think I, I don't remember. I don't remember. First who was thing. it? Who was it? We're talking to Murph. Was it 
they woke up in the hospital, but they were surrounded by all the flowers. Maybe it was Claudia, and they thought she thought she died because she thought she was waking up in a mortuary because <laughs> of all the flowers around her. <laughs> she goes, "Am I am I dead? Is this the funeral home? You know, you got to have a morbid uh, yeah. sense of humor." But so, but yeah, your family was there. That was good, right? Yeah, yeah. My family, my friends was there. My aunts and my mom. She she had like a, a twelve hour ride, so she she was on the way. Um, and my friends came by and checked on me, man, and. Like I said, all my all my family pretty much is there. They said the hospital was packed. Even even people that I never even like really even spoke to was at the hospital, like checking up on me and this and that. Like drove all the way to Savannah, Georgia. I'm like, well, thank y'all. <laughs> I appreciate it. I didn't, didn't know people cared about me that much. <laughs> well, yeah, even the but folks yeah. you wrote tickets to, right, showed up to talk to you. <laughs> I, no, ser- no, seriously, like for real. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but. Now let's talk about that too, because you wake up and now once when what is the first thing you're concerned about when you wake up? What are you what are you thinking of? Uh, my mom. <laughs> like I said, like I need to, I need to call her and let her know I'm fine. Like because I know like she's still, you know, and she had to drive, so she's not uh she's not in the right state of mind right now. So I just want to let her know that I'm fine and stuff like that. Whatever. I know my family Slow already down, told her. Mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> she, it's, it's like a 12, 13 hour ride. They say she made it in ten. So yeah, like <laughs> nonstop driving, nonstop. And uh, if I'd been a trooper to stop her, and once she told me what was going on, I'd, I'd be like, "Okay, I'll give you an escort." I think, an escort. Yeah, Get I, I think she did. I think she said she did. She she got stopped a few times, and she told them, and then they pretty much, "I right, you, yeah, go ahead." <laughs> like, just yeah. be careful. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. So yeah. When do you? When's your first concern about whether or not they caught the guy? Were you concerned about it that night, or when? When did that come up? Uh, well, my t- when my chief my chief came in and told me we got him or whatever, so I didn't even have to ask, you know, um, so whatnot. From the shooting until the time they caught him, how long of a time was that? They said two hours after it happened. So two hours. Did they give you any details where they found him? Did they resist? Him, I heard they found him up under a house, you know, at a family's house or something like that or something. That's what I was. That's how I was, remember I was told. Did he still have the gun? No, he ditched that. He ditched the gun. Was it gun ever located? It. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, he had too much time to go hide that thing, or probably gave it to mm-hmm. another family member who took it somewhere and did something with oh, it. And he did. We did. He did. Um, because they got the jail call, and he was telling his girlfriend, "Hey, you know, go get my jacket from such and such. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Like, he wouldn't give any details or whatever." And she's like, "Yeah, I know. I got you. Uh, so we know what that we know what that meant." How many episodes have we done, Steve, where we talk about this stuff and they always, at least this guy knew, they record the the, the calls out of the jail. <laughs> Which tells you he's probably a repeat offender, right? He's Has he got a felony record? No. He, from, what I, from what I remember, no, he didn't have a felony record. He was, he had like a, a, like a, like a misdemeanor charge that he was already out on jail, on, on bail for. Like, well, really? it, it, it was looking like larceny or something like that. Petty, you know. So we'll talk about him. Let's talk about him towards the end because I want to focus on you right now and your recovery. So um, you're in there. Um, when did the, when does the doctor come in and start telling you about your injuries and stuff? In other words, when do you start getting a full uh, a debrief on your injuries? Probably later on that night because he came to check and see, you know, how I was and stuff like that. And then he needed to, he came in because they didn't work on my arm yet. They was more focused on my neck, he told me. Um, they want to make you sure you can fix I your was, arm anytime. It's that neck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He said that was that was he more focused on. So he's like, you know, we put a. It had like a little drainage tube in my neck with a little bubble at the end that was, you know, draining all the excess stuff out and 
whatnot. And uh, like I said, this right here is pretty much a scar right here. That's with a surgery. That's where they conducted the surgery to go in or whatever. So um, that, and then he came and examined my arm and tried to plan on how they're going to try to fix my arm. So it was probably later on that night sometime around, I, well, I can't give you a time. I want to say around eight or nine o'clock. I don't know for sure though. Because I know it was around night, close to nighttime. Yeah, because you were sunk back into your bed doing that morphine thing, and you didn't <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. So when when did they operate on your arm? Uh, they operated on like a couple days later. It was uh, so I got out of hospital. I was in there for a week. So they operated on my arm on Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, then they sent me home like on on Friday or something like that. Something so what like, they yeah. do to your arm? To I mean, because they shot through you both bones in that arm. That's tough, man. Yeah. So they put like two metal rods in my arm and um, had it straightened to get it straight, I guess, or whatever. Because like I said, the uh, bullet it it shattered my forearm. Like uh, they showed me the X rays later on. Like you can see fragments of bone is all over the place. And so they just put, I guess they cleaned all that out and put um, two metal rods in my arm. But it didn't hit, there's three nerves in your arm. It didn't hit any of the nerves? Uh, Well, I didn't, well, I would say this, I still don't, like where the scar and stuff is, like I don't have any feeling on the scar or anything like that, but I do have feeling around it or whatever. But um, I did I did have nerve damage, I did have, no, I did have nerve damage, especially on the right arm. That's, that was the, after I got out of the hospital and went home, that's when all the nerve damage for my right arm was kicking in. And and have you lost any use of your right arm? Uh, I did for a while. Um, but now I'm I'm good now. I I don't like I said I went to therapy and all of that, and um, it took a long time for my nerves to regenerate. You know, Tell at you, least, yeah. it is that nerve damage. You can do muscles and bone and stuff, but nerves, man, uh, I'm the same thing like you probably can't see it here, but it's like, uh, I've got a, um, big ass scar. Oh, okay. See that yeah. there? Same thing right there. I'm just totally, yeah. you could stick a knife through my arm through this particular yeah. area here, but I'm fine. I can use it. I can do stuff, but it's yeah. like you just, but it, when it does those things, it cuts those nerves. It's like some things yeah. just don't regenerate, but yeah. let's, let's talk about your recovery. So you're in the hospital for a week. Um, what's, what do they do for you when you get out now? I mean, in other words, you're, you're going back home. So do they have to do anything special for you in terms of like a bed or around the clock care or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, I did have, that did was able to get, um, a hospital bed I had to get put in because, so the nerve damage in my uh, right arm, I, I couldn't sleep on a, a normal bed. Like the, it was so excruciating when I put pressure on it or anything. Like, like you could take your breath and blow on my back and that's how pain, it'll be excruciatingly painful. So the only thing that I slept in comfortably when I was the hospital bed. So they ended up getting me a hospital bed. Um, I did have a home health aide come and clean up for me, even though I didn't have much, you know, I still had family home and stuff like that, but they did provide that. They did come and help me and like clean up, clean me up, wash me up and stuff like that. Cause I still didn't have use of my arms and had to get somebody else to wipe my rear because I couldn't use my arms, you know, brother. So that's what I'm saying. I feel I'm for you. you. I broke both <laughs> arms. I broke, I was in casts on both arms. 
Oh, and my man. wife, God bless her, said, "Hey, I can help you with that." It's like, I'm sorry, that is a bridge uh, yeah. too far. I figured out, it, it, I figured out how to get it done with cast. It's like pool. It's all a game of angles. You just got to get yes. that cast in there and get the angle right, man. Listen, I could, I couldn't do it, man, without being in excruciating pain. So, you know, I had to bite the bullet. Even though <laughs> I can say it was, it was awkward. It was weird, and. It, people, my mom and them pretty much just say, you know, they wiped my ass when I was a baby. They damn sure wiped my ass when I was a grown man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, and and that's and and I'm glad that Morgan's going into a lot of detail on this because this this is the aftermath that yeah. most people don't think about. You know, yeah. oh, you were shot. Now you're okay. Everything's good. No. Well, yeah. It took a while to get to be okay. Now, yeah, all yeah, I care yeah. about is, did your mom get any pictures? Can we Facebook any of this stuff with her wiping no. your ass? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about checking your platforms, Facebook and Snapchat. I thought maybe you captured Listen, a couple intimate moments there. N- nah, not that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tick off his mind. It was already awkward with them wiping it, especially taking the pictures. It's definitely going to be yeah, awkward. I can wipe your ass. I can kick your ass. It's your choice, yeah, son. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. but but oh, that's man. but Steve, you hit upon a good point. A lot of people, you know, when we've talked to Alex, you know, and and Claudia and um, Cheryl, and, Kevin, everybody. yeah, Kevin, yeah, it's just there is everybody handles it differently. But it takes a long time, and the nerve damage, like you say, that's just the bad part. So let's talk about your recovery. How long, um, you know, you're out of the hospital. How long are you at home before you start making good progress? How long is it before you feel like you can, you know, let's just be how, how long before you can wipe your own ass? Um, well, the doctors said I I kind of healed up <laughs> faster than these two y'all going with that. Can't you mind the phone call? He calls up his mom. Mom, mom, I wiped my own ass today. Well, that's good, son. You're 30 years old. You ought to be able to wipe your own ass. I know. You, you, you ever seen that uh, movie with uh, Adam Sandler? It's called Big Daddy or Daddy or something like that. Yeah. He was, yeah. The little boy's like, I wiped my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> I get to say that now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, um, so um, the doctor said I kind of, you know, I healed up faster than what they thought. Um, so, but I started having a lot of progress, I guess, around the, as far as that, about two a month and a half, two months, I was able to start getting a lot more mobility. I can do things with my arms, but that still be painful. But I was able to like, you know, um, wipe my butt or whatever and stuff like that. Um, but I still, I would, I would say this too, man. Like, I, I, I also hated going to the bathroom. With, I hate urinating. What, however, I don't, you know how the body's connected. You got to take anatomy. I let y'all figure that out. But when I, when I used to go urinate, like I would, my back area, that nerve damage, it would be painful. I hate it. Go, I hate it to go pee. I, I would hold my urine for hours on to the point I can't hold it no more. And because when I urinate, for whatever reason, my that nerve would kick in. It, it would be painful. I don't even know why. Like, but no reason. So, um, but I that all that progress started coming around uh, like a month and a half. I started was able to, you know, be able to like you know do little 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 for myself. I couldn't lift weights. I couldn't lift up anything heavy, anything like that because I still be in pain and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So did you reach a point to where you were concerned whether or not you were going to be able to get back into being a police officer? Honestly, no. I was I was ready to go back as soon as I was able to walk, as soon as I was able to use my arms. <laughs> I used to go up to the chief and whatever, like, yeah, like I'm I'm about to be good, I'm about to come back, you know. I was I was ready, honestly, I was ready to go back. You know, um, I didn't want for one, I didn't want people to think, oh, you can shoot an officer and they'll leave, they ain't gonna come back or whatever. I didn't want to set that precedence. 
you know, and I don't want people to know, like, listen, I'm not scared, you know, I'm still going to do my job. Like, I'm not scared, you know. Well, so I said, now you're home. Did you, or even while you were in the hospital, did you have any nightmares about the shooting? Oh, yeah. I had frequent nightmares. And um, recently getting out of the hospital, man, like, you know, me pulling my gun on somebody and I'm squeezing the trigger, nothing's coming out. And and let or... me tell you, that is, I've got friends who've done research and it's the same reoccurring dream I had. The One of the biggest dreams or nightmares cops has is a weapon malfunction or something doesn't work. You pull it out and you yeah. try and pull the trigger. Either the trigger doesn't work or it gets stuck and you can't rack the slide. Yeah. Believe it or not, yeah. they did studies, sleep studies on cops and they asked them, what's one of the most recurring dreams you have? That was number one right there. Yeah. I I don't know why. Like I said, I I've had I've had those dreams before, you know, before I got in shot or whatever. And you know, I didn't think it actually happened. <laughs> I mean, you no, know, I didn't get a chance to pull my gun, but actually to live in to live my dream that was, yeah, that's that's different. <laughs> did you uh, so? And if you don't want to answer this, I would completely understand. But did you get any counseling after oh, the shooting? Do you go oh, talk definitely. to somebody? Definitely, you know, I, I, I listen. I had to, like, you know, for one, it was required by the job, and two, you know, um, I went to, I, I actually spoke to a therapist, and I went to what they call PCIS post critical incident seminars. I went to two of them, you know, that actually it actually helped me, man. Like, you know, being around other officers who've been involved in critical incidents like that, man, letting them talk about it, and me getting being able to talk about it, and you know, listening to them and getting ideas on how to deal and cope with, you know, what happened with me and stuff like that, that really, that was a benefit. So I'm, yeah, I'm not ashamed to say, hey, I went to a therapist and got help, you know, like I didn't have no, I mean, I didn't have no bad thoughts like, you know, I want to kill myself. No, no, none of that. I didn't have no drinking problem. You know, um, I just, you know, like I said, I had the nightmares and, you know, I, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much was my biggest thing, man, or me, you know, not being scared when I do go back to work because I do want, I did want to go back. You know, yep. Steve, I go back to episode 46, Ted Dolan. That's the same thing he talked about. He, his, his boss finally told him, you need to go to this. He went to that mm-hmm. post-critical incident uh, seminar. And that's what he said to changed his life. You know, just yeah. the things you learn, the coping skills you learn with stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It's one of the, my, uh, uh, you don't know this Quincy, but in 1989 down in Miami, my partner and I got into a shootout with a guy. My partner was hit twice with 45 caliber slugs in the right arm. Wow. And and I wasn't struck. And the informant was killed during the shootout. And, uh, you know, the, the manhunt goes on. And then when that calms down, uh, a senior agent comes by one day and, and nobody had told me to go to counseling. And, and I came up, I started as a cop in 75. And, you know, back then, if you went to counseling, you were a wimp. That's, you yeah. didn't do that. Yeah. And they're telling me, hey, you, you know, have you been to the counselor yet? And I'm like, no, I don't even know who the counselor is. And they're like, well, here's his name. Go see the counselor. And he walks away and it's like, screw you, pal, I got this. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I can't tell you how many years later I would have, still have bad dreams about my partner Kevin being shot in a line of duty. And you have that survivor's remorse. Mm, yeah. So as I progressed through the agency uh, with DEA, when my guys were getting shootings, you damn well bet they were going to counseling. And yeah. whether they wanted to or not, I'm taking you myself. And I did. I yeah. sat right in the room. I, I didn't go in the session, but I yeah. sat outside to make sure everybody went in and had their session. And yeah. guess what? Guess what, Quincy? You know how, you know, so we had Kevin on episode five, which was back June or July 19th. It was one yeah. of our first episodes. That was the first time in what, Murph, 20 years, 25 years, you and your partner had actually talked about the shooting? 
Yeah, the shooting was summer wow. of '89, and we didn't talk about it till last year. Wow! <laughs> I mean, we were big time drinking buddies and everything. He was yeah. single, and and uh, you know, my wife would bitch at him about drink, being drunk and driving, and just like she with me. And she, <laughs> there was the story though about what him tripping over and falling. Uh, what, what was that? <laughs> falling into your house? He, he tripped over. Yeah, he took him. Well, we had a little bit too much to drink one night, and we came in, and I said, "Just go in and sit down in the family room from the carport," you know. And he walked in there and tripped over air <laughs> right on the floor. I think she threw him out of the house at that point. But back to our regularly scheduled well, she, drove him, she drove him home. Yeah. yeah. Got rid of him, threw his ass out like Pam did with her uh, soon-to-be husband. Um, yeah. But Quincy, so uh, – but you're going through this recovery period. Um, but like I said, I, maybe I should have asked it a different way. Was there a point with your injuries where you thought – I know in your mind you said, yeah, I'm coming back, but – did they tell you that, hey, you you may not be able to come back or the nerve damage may be too great? Or did you ever get a prognosis like that? Or was it always, no, you're going to be able to recover and come back to work? No, they because they, so after I got out of hospital and I went back for, you know, I guess my follow-up, like a month and a half or whatever, two months, you know, they said, you kind of, you healed fast. You was, you're healing up pretty fast than what I thought. So they didn't, they didn't say, no, you're not going to be okay. able to come back. Now, um... I did have issues with my left arm. <clears throat> I had to have like three and three or four surgeries on it because my the way my bone grew back, and I only I had like a limited range of motion with the twisting and turning and stuff like that. So they said, you know, that might be an issue, and it was painful too. So my bone, what, what happened was my bone had grew back longer than what it's supposed to, and stuff like that. So they had to go in and shorten it and sh- shave it down and do all types of stuff to it. So yeah. And yeah, so um, they said that was the only issue I probably have if I were to go back, you know, you having that, you having those issues with your arms. So, um, but yeah, but for the most part, they said, no, nah, they, they said um, if I wanted to go back, I could. I mean, they don't see the way I'm healing, the way I was healing up, they didn't see anything that would be, you know, affect that, me going back to work. Yeah. So how long were you in recovery before you, you, you're cleared for work? How long did it take you to work yourself back into that? Yeah. A year and 10 months. Wow. What'd you do during that time? Fishing. Did a lot of fishing, you know, um, that, and that's also where I found another coping mechanism that I use, man. Like just sitting out there in the swamp area, you know, just no, like relaxing, listen to the nature you know, catching fish and stuff like that. Like it really got me, I got to think a lot, you know, what I could have done better that day, what I, what I can do period and be better person, you know? So, you know, fishing was a very, very therapeutic for me and my friends, they kept me busy and stuff like that. They came over, we'll play call of duty, you know, <clears throat> there's only so much I could do with the controller. Cause I still had a cast on. So I had to hold the controller and it's like, uh, push the button. And <laughs> so, yeah. So um, and your buddies aren't cutting any slack either, are they? Yeah, yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, so yeah, uh, like I, I did a lot of fishing. Then, um, like I said, I traveled a little bit. As far as like I said, went to you know the critical incident seminars and stuff like that, and you know that's that's pretty much how I kept how I kept busy. When's the first time you got up and told your story? First time I got up and told my story, I got invited to. Um, the National um, Interdiction Conference in Pennsylvania. Um, and I got up there and went there for that training. Um, well, they invited me up to be a guest speaker and went up there. And that's when I first time I told my story. And that was in 2017. How'd that go? Now, the na- the National Interdiction, is that from the uh, Office of the Drugs, the drugs Are? 
Was yeah. that the federal? Yeah. Well, federal, uh, I don't know if it's federal. It's like from uh, Desert Storm, Desert Snow or something like that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Operation Snowcap. Uh, snow. Uh, Oper- yeah, yeah. It's a highway thing, but it's the, yeah. the references to snow talking about cocaine. Yeah. I can't think of it right now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I went there and um, that went great. They actually gave me an award, the Iron Man Award, too, you know, um, for and gave me a plaque and stuff for, you know, pretty much my heroism and stuff like that. So I was appreciative of that. Did, did, you, and, um, did you get the uh, Golden Toilet Paper Award for wiping your own ass? <laughs> <laughs> they should have gave me that. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we ain't going to cut you any slack. So, but but how was, that, how was that like getting up and telling your story for the first time? Well, uh, I was a little nervous or whatever, man. Um, but because uh, I'm not usually a, like a public speaker and stuff like that. So I hated doing that in college. <laughs> so, um, but I, uh, I was a nerd, but I, I was comfortable. I, I was comfortable because uh, I already talked about it in the PCIS things. So that kind of got me comfortable. And it's, I'm telling you what happened to me. You know, it's not some information that I learned out of a book or taught or went to college for. Just my actual raw, true experience. This is how it happened and what happened. You know, from start to finish, I don't have to remember. I don't have to remember anything. I can just tell you what happened. Go ahead, Steve. It's always easy telling the truth, and it's not hard to remember what happened. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> hey, so when you were out there reflecting, and you were reflecting on that day and what you could do different and stuff, um, there's got to be a danger too, because you don't want to second guess yourself. A lot of people want to second guess things, but for you, what 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 were the, the big key takeaways for you that you are now using in your career now today? that that have allowed you now to become a better officer because you obviously are a better officer um what what did you take away from that what lessons did you teach yourself out of that one the biggest thing that i got out of that complacency man you know i literally i got used to a certain thing how we did in esto and and like i said i carried a few bad habits from working on a college campus to there and just not going into a situation the the complacent how complacent i was so that was one. I gave the, the the dude too many opportunities or whatever. Like I, I gave him too many opportunities and I was too nice. You know, I should have been a little more forceful as far as I should have at least, hey, pull the trigger earlier on the taser or and see if that would affect something, even though it wouldn't have. And try to be more tactful on my approach and my angle. Because when I when I was trying to get him to stop, you know, and I was closing that reactionary gap, I literally walked up on the side he had the gun on and put myself directly in the line of fire. All he did was just pull it out and shot. He didn't even have to aim. He just pulled out and shot and got a good shot in the net, you know? So, you know, change, like my, uh, change my approach and angle how I, how I deal with people. And I'm in an area, I'm in an agency now where I do have backup too. So, you know, I try to use backup as much as possible when, if I need it or whatever. Where are you and at now? I just, uh, a town called Matthews, North Carolina. I know where that is. Yep, right outside of Charlotte. How big of a town? Uh, Seventeen square miles. So we got about sixty-three going up to going up to sixty-eight officers now. Wow! About to start hiring some more people. So yeah. you go from three or four to sixty-eight, man. You yeah. you're living large. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, Are you I looking can't... at maybe going to Charlotte Mecklenburg? No, not a city person. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I've never been a city person. Like I said, I, li- I like living up in the city, like New Jersey, New York, or whatever. But I'm, I'm just not. That's not my lifestyle. Like I like the small. I like the small town with a big city feel. You know, 
And Matthews is a small town, but it's, it's expanding. It's growing. You get a lot of things coming through, and we're nestled right outside of town to Charlotte, man. So, so how um, close like are you 15. to downtown Charlotte? Then? I mean, you what are you, like 10, 15 miles? Yep, 15 minutes, so honestly. suburb. Yeah, yeah depend, depending, on, depending on traffic, but it's like 15 minutes downtown. So are you close to Cary then? Cary, no, no, no. So Cary, that's in Raleigh. Oh, I'm area. sorry, that's Wake Raleigh. Never Wake. mind. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Different direction. Never mind. Uh, I've got my geography confused for a moment there. So, um, but let's let's go back to you for a second. So, um, you're telling your story. How many times did you tell your story before you came back to work? Oh, so let's see. I think that just that one time, because <clears throat> I I didn't I didn't have a like a PowerPoint or anything like that. Now I got a PowerPoint and stuff I got now that I uh, speak about it. Pretty much go through everything that we're talking about now. Um, but I've only told. But I that bet you don't put time. anything about wiping your ass in there, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> your your PowerPoint is missing a slide. I'll get you that slide. I'll get you the slide. <laughs> All right. Well, but see, yeah. now we've got your story, and and there's there's probably like eighteen more people, our listeners, that are going to know about this. I know, right? That's crazy. I mean, I might need you to cut that out for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 man. That's not a chance. This is this, remember that remember that finger, and then it's like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're getting <laughs> the finger again there. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> remember. You said, is there anything off limits? That's off limits. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but you had to That's declare right. we'll that. You had to declare that in the beginning. So anyway, <laughs> we asked you, we asked you if anything was off limits. You said, no, uh, uh, I have no, that on the okay. record, your honor. But anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you were under oath when we did this too. So, but, uh, oh, God. so, but how long, so it took you a year and 10 months. So what was it like then coming back to work? At first, it, it, when it started off as a, it was a smooth transition, you know, um, they worked. So I started off back in the office and I was in the office for, uh, man, from November of 20. Oh, when did I, I, so I got back. A year like November months, of 2018? So, no, 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 no. That was, no, no, no. 16. So November of 2017. Okay. Yeah. 17. November of 2017, I went back to work. And they had me pretty much in the office. Now, of course, I wanted to get out on the streets because I'm not an office person. However, and so, and I was there until late April, in the office until late April. That had to drive you nuts. Yeah. But what did yeah, you learn from I, that, though? Well, um, I got to learn on, yeah, patience. This, uh, I like to learn administrative stuff, too, though, because I was the captain's right-hand man, too. So me and him, I was in his office. I, I was his secretary, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, no, like, I, uh, I I started doing, like, a lot of stuff with evidence, you know, getting stuff prepared for trials and courts and stuff like that and putting together. Uh, I even started a warrant list, you know, um, something we never had. I mean, we had a warrant list, but we had a list of names. We didn't have people's faces. Half these people that was on the list, I'm like, who is this person? You're not going to know unless you stop them. So I went on DMV and got their photos, and I put it in a in a um a PowerPoint a collage or whatever with the names, their offense, the date of birth, and everything. And man, we got a lot of me doing that. They got a lot of people off the street just by all. So in Esto, it's three gas stations, you know. And if you hang out on, at those, you're pretty much going to run across most people you want, right? Yep. All they did was sat at all they did was sat at the gas station, just look at the list. And they they would say, Oh, and then they go up to it, hey, such and such. Yeah, what's up? 
Oh, come here, man. You got a warrant. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so no, nah, it, it was very effective, man. I got to do a lot of stuff with that. And, um, but what I wanted yeah, to ask so, you though, was you had a little surprise plate on you though, too, when you came back to work. Yeah. So yeah, I wasn't even talking about, there was a, uh, oh, we got this, uh, uh, outreach program we trying to get ready for, you know, help me set up or whatever. All right. Got a community outreach thing. All right, cool. So, cause they, 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 they do stuff like that. They try to get out and reach out to the community and do things and get, um, get, get, build a trust with the community, even though they still don't want it, but you know, they try. So, you know, we were sitting there or whatever. And, uh, the news crew is here. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting there talking, laughing or whatever. Then here come Dern, uh, chief and captain come out here with a K. We just want to welcome you back, man. Shut up. Why you ain't tell me? I didn't listen. I didn't listen. I, I didn't even have a haircut or nothing. I just I was like, you should let me get a haircut first. I wasn't trying to be on TV with no haircut and I just got back. I had just wolf. I had have a still let my stuff grow out. All of that, man. <laughs> <laughs> those are the best kind of surprises man yeah 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 it is yeah. total surprise so you mentioned you moved to another department um why'd you move Woo! you want truth or you want to lie dude it's your podcast <laughs> yeah well well i would say this um you know small town politics man we all know man how like people like to run now the, the police department was fine but so i tell you this i end up um i was i was checking my warrant list and i uh my friend my uh, best friend called me he said hey you know we got a guy that live in your area and uh he's wanted for like forgery forgery and fraud and all that type of stuff and he sent me his name and stuff so i looked him up on dmv in line and got his picture and put him on the warrant list so, and I go to the gas station and I, well, I actually went by his house. He, they said he didn't live there anymore or whatever. So I was like, all right, whatever. He's going to have to come to this gas station sometime today. I guarantee you. If not, I'll be here the next day and next day and the next day. But anyway, so I went up to the one of the gas stations. All right. And I'm sitting there and the information they gave me, he's, his name was, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we just call him, what is it? Anyway, the gentleman we, we, that we was looking for, what, whatever his name, I'm not going to say his name. All right. Um, he's he's an older white male, full goatee, salt and pepper kind of white hair or whatever. Um, got blue eyes and he's known to drive a Ford truck. Well, yeah, had me tell then I don't drive a Ford truck. But by then you're kind of describing me then blue eyes, gray hair. <laughs> oh, my God. What did I do now? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, uh, he's, he's a lot older than you, though. I say that. But um, so uh, I'm sitting up at one of the gas stations. I see a, a blue Ford truck pull up. All right. Guy gets out of the car. He has a, a hat on or whatever. And he's got the, the full goatee, but his goatee is more whitish now. And uh, he got the uh, salt and pepper kind of hair. He got the little white kind of white hair. Like, dang, this looks like him. So so he went, he goes into the store or whatever. So I, I drive behind the car. I try to run the tag and see what the tag comes back to. By the time I was able to do that, um, he was walking out of the store and about to get in the truck. I said, shoot, I'm about to lose my opportunity. <clears throat> I said, I'll get outside the truck. And I called the gentleman by the name they, they gave me. And I said it twice. The gentleman looked at me and he started walking towards me like he was the guy or whatever. Um, let's just say it, the, the guy we're looking for is named uh, Sanders. Last name is Sanders. So um, I said, do you have any ID to verify that? He said, mm-mm. 
but you're driving a truck or whatever. And he said it in like a deceptive way. So I was like, all right, well, listen here. I have, I'm going to detain you right now. I have reason to believe you may have a warrant or whatever. So or whatnot. Man, he went ballistic. You know, he was like, oh, do you know who you now, who you messing with now, boy, this and that, like, this and that, just going off, like, that privilege shit. So I'm like, well, tell me who you are. I don't know who you are. I ain't telling you shit. Okay, well, you're going to sit here until I figure out who the heck you are or whatever. So um, I put him in my car and I look, I see in the, on his center console, his wallet is sitting right there. So I'm like, oh, okay. Open the door, grab his wallet, look at his ID. It's not Mr. Sanders. Okay, cool. So now what I got to do, I got to let you go. I got you. I got to write you a contact ticket saying that I stopped you for this reason because the state keeps a record of the uh, age, race, date, and all of this type of stuff. So I'm required by law to fill that out or whatever. And it, it even says it on the back of the ticket. I have to, I have to fill this out because they keep a track of all those stats. So while I'm filling it out, he's in the back seat still or whatever. I, and me and my coworker talk. I say, man, it looked like him, man. I say, we look at the DMV picture and look at him like, yeah, it looked like him or whatever. So anyway, uh, while I'm writing the little contact warning and getting ready to let him go, he's in the back seat talking all types of trash. Yeah, if you were such a damn punk ass, I'd take that badge and that cuffs and I'd beat your ass. Really? Now you're going to jail for threatening public employee, you know? So I was like, so I was like, forget the ticket. I just balled it up, put the ticket to the side and wrote him another, uh, got, went and got warrants, took him to jail or whatnot, you know, whatever. Apparently that was the mayor's friend or whatever. So, and you know, I record. Everybody knows I record, baby. Come on now. So, uh -huh. um, so anyway, not even five minutes, you know, um, I guess my chief gets a call. Well, not five minutes, but it was like like 30, 45 minutes or whatever. My chief gets a call. Says, hey, what's going on? Like, like, what you mean what's going on? I just took somebody to jail for such and such, whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, the mayor called me or whatever, like saying some stuff. I'm like, well, he threatened me. I got the video. You want to watch it? Yep, we'll watch it. We'll review the video. Uh, he's like, all right. He said, carry on. Came back to work the next day. Um, chief came back, whatever. Showed him, had the video already waiting on his desk, ready for him to watch it. He watched it. All right, I'm good with it. Of course, but the mayor them still made us think about it or whatever. They tried to uh, fire me, suspend me for whatever. I don't even know what it was for. Yeah, handed my chief a letter for suspension or termination or whatever. Chief said, I'm not handling, I'm not handing this to him. For one, you're going to open yourself up to a lawsuit. And two, he didn't violate any state law, or any uh, policy or anything like that or whatever. He said, I have the video right here. Would you guys like to watch it or whatever? They said, no, we're not getting involved in that. You're not getting involved in it, but you are, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're trying to. So now I didn't find out this until later. So, um, so, uh, um, anyway, so they, uh, from my, I ended up getting uh, some information and they tried to, they contact the sled, one sled to come down and investigate. The sled said, well, yeah, if there was something there, they would have, but there's Let nothing everybody there. Let who doesn't know what sled is, tell people what sled is. Oh, SLED is the state law enforcement division. So South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, they're the one, they're the state agency that they're investigates. They're the State Bureau of Investigation, yeah. Yeah. basically. Yeah, State Bureau of Investigation, yeah. So, so there's like, well, if anything's there, you know, we'll investigate, but he didn't violate any policy or no state law. So they end up contacting the solicitor's office and say, and solicitors told him, well, yeah, if he committed a crime, we'll prosecute him, but there's nothing to prosecute. So wait a minute. So by now they've tried to run it by your chief. They tried to run it to SLED. Now they've gone to the AG's office. Does this sound a little personal or what? Yep. 
Yep, it is. So, now, mind you, this is after I got shot. I done took three bullets for your town. Now, yeah. So, um, they, uh, so they started, so they couldn't do anything to me. So, like I said, my department had my back. And I, like I said, I appreciate them too. So, they started doing little simple stuff. Taking out take-home cars. That was the first thing. They said, oh, we, you're, you're burning too much gas. What? How we burning too much gas? There was no problem with no gas no other, any other time. And for two, I'm writing all these citations. So um, the, the, uh, in South Carolina, for, for agencies that do write tickets, the department gets a percentage of the ticket. Most of it, like 30%. Most of it goes to the um, state and they've uh, put it into all those other programs like MAD and all the other stuff. And also, the academy is funded by tickets too. Well, I don't know if you know, a lot of people don't know that. Our police academy is funded by the number of citations. So it's a good thing the labor so, but, at the academy is cheap because they just bring over prisoners. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, but I, like I said, I didn't write tickets for that. I that's that's my that's my thing. I like that's what I like to do. I like traffic. So, but anyway, so so I, they, they would say, yeah, we're spending too much gas money and this and that and then they try to fudge the fudge the numbers and stuff like that to make it show that we were burning this amount like you spending this money on gas and chief, chief had already did his numbers and stuff like that it's like no that's not the same numbers like you're trying to you're trying to run a game here so anyway they did that then they started cutting overtime well the officers are burning too much overtime now mind you i had literally did we were so short at one point we didn't have any officers they they we they had they wouldn't allow the chief to hire any more people when we had a guy quit well he didn't quit he couldn't pass the academy they wouldn't let the chief fill that spot so we had to work overtime to cover the shift to be 24 7 no law enforcement so they had to figure out a way to um they had to figure out a way to make the shifts work and they started giving us some crazy schedules i even i end up working um like i think like 60 hours of overtime at one point Holy cow. And, yeah. And sometimes I would even donate time. Like Chief would say, hey, we need help. I wouldn't even put it on my time card. I just say, Chief, no, I got you. Just don't worry about it. I know we short. I know we doing things. I wouldn't do that all the time, but I would sometimes I would I would do I would do free hours, literally free hours for you. Because but I did it for the chief because it, I respected the chief and my other coworkers because you know what I'm saying? And I'm the closest one to town. I live 10 miles away. I can get to work at any point. So um, yeah, so they caught, they started doing all that type of stuff. And, and uh, at this time I had already told chief, uh, like when I first started, I said, my goal, I want to move to North Carolina at some point. I don't know when, but you know, I do want to move or whatever. I just don't know when or where. So, um, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm really tired of the back and forth. Like I done put in so many hours to this town for free. And just giving, just donating my time. I almost donated my life. And y'all giving me a big stink because of the mayor. Y'all, because of the mayor's friend is pissed off for him breaking the law. Like, and I took him to jail for that. I got it on video. You don't want to watch the video or whatever. But yeah, so I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done fighting, man. I'm done fighting. I need, I just want some peace, man. I want some peace. And, you know, I'm always and I'm already working there. I'm already on high alert because, you know, I don't want what happened earlier in the a uh, couple of years ago to happen again. So my stress level is always up here and me working 60 hours of overtime. My stress level is I'm, I'm always in a stressful state. 
So I say, it, 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 at this time now, it's it's time for me to go. It's time for me to move on to do something different. I, and my girlfriend, she uh had a she's a travel uh, respiratory therapist, so she had an assignment in Charlotte. When I came to visit, I had liked the I had liked she was around Matthews, and I liked Matthews. So I just so happened to look up to see if they were hiring, and lo and behold, they were hiring during all this time. So I'm like, this is a sign that God telling me it's time for me to go. So uh, I applied. And I got hired within like four months. Wow. Wow. And that was when? That was 2020. So 2019 when I was going through all of that stuff. So, yeah. So probably around, yeah, no October, November 2019. All right. So you're coming up on a two-year anniversary here pretty soon. So, mm-hmm. Well, I, I found an article that talks about you being selected as a, a special recognition there for one month uh, in Matthews. Oh, so yeah. apparently it's... What was that all about? So, um, I, this is I, I'm on the traffic unit now. So back then I was on the patrol unit. Um, I was I got a call about uh, a lady, pretty much uh, in a wheelchair that was pretty much electric scooter that was pretty much stranded, or whatever. She was trying to get to her family, um, like in another part of North Carolina or in Virginia. So I uh, uh, went there and I was talking to her and her, her scooter, her power, her battery power was on her scooter was running low. So it's like, oh man. So I, I went to, I took her to the Krispy Kreme where she was right next to her. I asked him, hey, do you mind if the lady charge up her scooter so she can at least try to catch the bus to go downtown and this and that? They said, yeah, we don't mind doing that. So um, I was like, all right. So I sat down and talked with the lady and she's you know, we just started talking. You know, she kind of reminded me of my grandmother a little bit too, you know. So um, I was just sitting there talking and she was telling me how she had to, she had to catch the first, she got to catch the bus to go to Walmart, cash her check, which her check was about 50 bucks, catch the bus again to go downtown and then catch the train to go wherever she got to go. I'm, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, $50 is not going to get you where you need to go. Like you got to catch the bus and all this type of stuff. And and I'm like, oh man, this is no, this is yeah, this this she gonna have some issues. So um, and I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, all right, I'm I think I probably need to help her, like at least help her get downtown, so that she won't have to spend uh, all her money catching the bus. She was gonna spend all her money catching the bus to get downtown, you know. And ain't no telling. And I looked up the train tickets. The train tickets are like eighty bucks. So she was already in. The negative. So I'm like, yeah, in the hole. Yeah. So I'm like, so, so I told her, and I was about to get off work too and um, whatnot. So um, I live, but I live in town. So I was like, ma'am, just keep charging up your, keep charging up your uh, scooter. Um, I'm about to get off. I'll be right back or whatever. She said, okay, or whatever. I'm come back and talk to you. So, um, she, uh, so I went, I got off work. I, I took my patrol car home and then I got my personal car, went back up to Krispy Kreme. And, you know, I told her, I said, man, well, listen, I'm going to get you where you need to go. You know, um, I said, I'm going to drive you down to downtown or whatnot. So, you know, and whatnot. So um, that, that's what I want to do for you. At least get you downtown. Now, she didn't really want to ride with me because she was uncomfortable. She didn't know me. Even though I was a police officer, she didn't know me. Understandable. And I didn't mind. I said, you know what? All right. Since you're not comfortable riding me, that's what I'll do. And she had like a couple suitcases, too, with her. So um, I was like, this is what I'll do. I'll, you catch the bus. I'll wait for, I'll wait with you here. You catch the bus. I'll get you on the bus. I'll put your suitcases in my car and I'm going to follow the bus downtown. 
So I did that. I, she caught the bus. It, it started raining, too. So I was outside at the road holding an umbrella over her head, too, or whatever, <laughs> and wait for the bus. And, you know, bus came, got her on the bus, put her suitcase in my car, drove, drove and followed the bus all the way down downtown. And uh, when she got downtown, um, she was she had to uh, still switch and go to the train station. And I still realized she still don't have enough money to whatever. So I gave her about like a hundred and some dollars or or whatever. So she can at least get a train ticket and something to eat. So that's pretty much. And I told my supervisor, I mean, I, I told him this like a couple of days after I didn't tell him, you know, right away. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it to get recognition. I just, you know, like it felt like it is, but he, he, uh, when I told him about it, he's like, you did what? And cause he told, he had told me before he said, man, listen, you will go broke trying to help everybody here, man. I'm telling you. Did this and this was before because I tried to help. I tried to help somebody else. <laughs> I didn't do all of that, but I tried to help somebody else, give them a little cash to catch the bus so they can. They got stranded in Florida. They got stranded in here, um, because I guess they had a little dispute with their boyfriend or whatever, and he left her in North Carolina, and went back to Florida. So, um, I helped her by I, I my supervisor let me drive her with my patrol car down to the bus station or whatever. But he said, "Yeah, you go broke trying to help everybody here, man." Like so. Well, dude, that's well. Why don't you help somebody up here? I'm running a little short on my car payment this month, so man, I'll just Ven- you can Venmo me. No, I'll just send you. Me too. Hey, listen, I need I need a little help now. Like you said, I went broke helping everybody. <laughs> hey, one thing. So, yeah. we're kind of coming to the end, but before we do that, you did mention one thing, and I want to circle back to it because you said after your shooting, you talked about a murder sus or murder victim that you held in your arms mm-hmm. while they died. Let's talk about that. Where did that happen at, and what were the circumstances? So it helped. It happened in Estel. Uh, it happened. Not too long ago, after I got back to work, you know, after actually when I got back on the road, so um, uh, we got a call about uh, pretty much a home invasion that happened um in Esto. <clears throat> didn't know uh anything. We didn't know somebody got shot. So me and my coworkers, we head over there, running normal traffic, just regular driving. Get over there, I see a guy run out of house. Uh, his Hispanic, Hispanic guy. Run out of the house. He was covered in blood. He's and he's he's speaking Spanish. I couldn't really understand. He's like, you know, but my brothers they're in there. They were there or whatever. So I'm like, well, what you what we got going on? Like, so I I'm hosting my gun and following him because I don't know what he's leading me to. I just got out of this shooting or whatever. So me and my coworkers we go in and we see two Hispanic males on the floor shot or whatever. One was still breathing barely or whatever. And the sad thing is he got shot like in the in the face and it came out his neck and it, that hit his artery. And that put me kind of back in. So I, I try to, I render aid or whatever. I try to do as best, as much as I can for paramedics to come and whatnot. And, uh, you know, but unfortunately he, he didn't make it. Like he literally, I, I was, I was holding him doing to do chest compressions when he was taking his last breath or whatever. So, and once the paramedics got there, I, you know, I went outside, man. And, I couldn't keep it together for a second because my coworker, he saw me like, yo, Q, I said, man, listen, I was just in this situation, man. I ain't gonna lie. I started crying. Like I couldn't, I couldn't hold it. I I was just in this situation, man. Like he's like, man, listen, just get yourself together, sit in the car, do what you got to do, get yourself together. And you know, but I, and I, but I still had to work. I still had to do all that. had to type up warrants and search warrants and all this type of stuff and get everything together. But you know, that it, it's, it's, it kind of affected me a little bit being that freshly back too. It's It's only been like what, two years. You know, and I haven't been up close to death again like that, but and, but seeing it right there in my hands, like you know, it just it, it really did. It, it it struck it struck me. It struck a struck a nerve. Well, you were there for him, the way people yeah. were there for you. Don't want to end on such a dark note, but it was like, but 
but but that was like, but you know, but this is the one of the reasons we do the podcast, and it's like we don't do preachy stuff, we don't do politics, we simply let people like you tell their stories. And it's it's exactly this what I said I loved about your project. It's exactly the same thing. What they think they know, and then when they hear the stories and they hear people like your stories, it changes their mind. We've had I can't tell you how many people write on our Facebook page, um, you know, on Twitter, whatever else. I didn't realize the job was like this. I didn't realize cops had to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a yeah. newfound respect. And we're not here trying to change anybody's mind. Not, not, well, I'm not here to change your mind. Just here to tell stories. Facts tell, stories sell. You tell your story. And you know what? It's your stories that changes people's mind. It's not a thing Murph and I are do. It's when we yeah, hear stories absolutely. like yours. Uh, that's what changes people's mind. I got to tell you, man, um, uh, just first of all, you're just a good guy. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Your mom raised you well. Um, you know, you. and you're just a good hearted guy. Um, the things you do, I mean, you were designed to be a cop because you want to help people. You were there to do this stuff. And look, I'm just, first of all, glad the guy was a bad shot. Uh, second of all, I've, yeah. but I'm glad you were wearing body armor too, because you don't know, you know, you got to wear that every day. And even though the body armor didn't play a role, you never know. Right. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, you got to have yeah. that on. So yeah, man, mm. it, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, Real common for people to call everybody a hero these days. You know, you yeah. can, if somebody just shows up for a job, you know, it's like they're a hero. I got a paper cut. Oh, you're a hero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't make you a hero. Yeah. But somebody that can face death the way you did, overcome it, you're blessed by the good man upstairs. It wasn't your day to die. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in luck. I believe everything is done for a reason and it's in all part of his plan. And, and I mean, look, Maybe his plan was for you to help that lady in that wheelchair that day, because yeah. that's a magnanimous act right there that you took. You had no obligation whatsoever to help her, yeah. other than being a good humanitarian, a good person, and having a, a, a giving heart, and that you have the, the gift of being a servant. And, and Morgan hears me preach about this all the time, and he agrees with me. It's, it's, I take the, the title of public servant as a badge of honor. And you are leading the way. You're setting the standard as a public servant on what we all should be doing to help our fellow man. Just because we carry a badge and a gun and we have the authority to put people in jail, that's not why we took the job. We took the job to help our fellow man. So God bless you, brother. It's thank you. It's uh, I was so excited to have you on the show here, and I just couldn't wait to hear the story because I'd watched that video and. We couldn't yeah. even record this morning because I kept going, well, why didn't this happen? And I haven't yeah. seen the rest of the video yet. We got to get this shit over. And I want to hear the rest uh, of the story. Man. Yeah. Well, right. folks, it's been an honor, yeah. honor having and you And folks Thank can't you. see this, but this is me saluting you, Officer Quincy Smith, Matthews PD, traffic specialist extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> I know it all that. <laughs> yeah, man. But hey, look, it, it really, truly, it's an honor to have people like you on, the people who were prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice. And like Merced, what in your day to die, brother? Um, you're here for a reason. Um, we want to see you prosper and grow. Just remember, I will get down to Charlotte a couple of times. I'll give you a holler. But remember, remember Definitely. this face. You don't write me a ticket. Just remember this face. <laughs> Listen. Hey, after you meet him in person, you're going to want to write <laughs> him a ticket. I'm telling you. Yeah, all, all you got to do, wear your, seat, wear your seat belt and drive. I give you 14 miles over. That's all, that's all I can give you. Oh, there's the, oh, <laughs> that's pretty lenient. Yeah, you wouldn't make I know, state, exactly. You wouldn't make a state trooper in South Carolina with that kind of leniency. <laughs> but no, listen, Virginia either. No, listen, let me tell you something, man. I, if I, if I go below 14, I would literally, as soon as I stop riding one, I would get back in my car another. and ride another one. I, I can't, it's so much traffic up here. I just can't do it. So I try to, you know, I try to help people out as much as I can. Then when I do, I, I automatically reduce it unless you're just a butthole. You're going to get a reduction regardless. Oh, you know what, man? Just just stay tactical. (laughs) 
Stay safe, oh, yeah. stay alert, and go home safe every night. Go home every night. Yes, sir. Night. All right. Yes, sir. We'll do. All right. Well, you hang That's on. Been an honor. Don't go an anywhere. Honor. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. You know, um, I grew up in a small town. You know, to think something like this would happen in a small town mm-hmm. back then was inconceivable. It's still kind of inconceivable. But man, when you think and you look at that video, Steve, he was firing his taser at this same exact instant that that guy was firing at him. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, just but let me tell you, here's the, here's the big lesson from Quincy. And this is why I'm so proud of him. He did not try to sugarcoat it. He did not try to say, well, it wasn't my he said, no. I brought that sense of complacency from working in a uni- mm-hmm. university environment into a police environment. And he will tell you, number one lesson, don't be complacent. And I just, you know, God bless this kid. Kid, here we go again, half our age. But yeah, as we said in the intro, anybody half our age is a kid, which is most of them now. Quincy's but- like a third of my age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's 40? <laughs> anyway, that's math, Murph. Hi, that's advanced math. That's I got four my shoes off. I'm counting right now as you're talking. Okay. Well, you're going to need two extra toes for that. <laughs> um, no, but but anyway, but it, I mean, just God bless this kid. And just he just still full of life, just his sense of humor. And like I said, <laughs> the best part about this, I can feel for him having to just have the humbleness and get rid of your ego to have somebody wipe your ass for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and here's the thing about Quincy. Like you said, he didn't sugarcoat. He laid out there what he did wrong, but he did that for the purpose of learning from his mistakes and also teaching others. Don't become complacent. You know, one of the guys we had, uh, Lou Velozzi, who's been on the show here with us, and he was in San Diego with us, you know, at the end of his presentation talks about priorities, and that's what Quincy's done here, man. So he's uh, you know, hero. And here's another thing to avoid that situation. All the assailant had to do was stop. That's all Quincy wanted to talk to him, find out what's going on. But you saw what happened. You heard what happened there. So many of these incidents could be avoided if people would just stop. But you know, it's with what's going on in society today. Everybody's like, well, I can do whatever the hell I want to do. Well, you can spend the rest of your life in prison too there, big boy. Which, yeah, which is good for somebody like him. Uh, the other thing too, shout out to the citizen who came up there and helped him. You know, mm-hmm. too many times people want to sit and just v- record stuff on their phone and do stuff. But, you know, shout out to the citizen who went up there and helped Quincy as well, too. And just, uh, you know, the bad part too, Murph, you know, his parents or family, I should say family members were listening on the scanner because it's a small town mm-hmm. to have your family show up to something like that, too. Yeah. Oh, man, that's just that's tough. You know, when I was back in the 70s, I was a city cop. I got in a fight with a guy on the street, couldn't get to the radio to call for help. We were at a stalemate. We had we were, <laughs> we were grappling all over the ground, and both of us were so tired, neither one of us would let go. You know, and when you're when you're carrying a weapon, you always have to be cognizant. Is somebody trying to steal your weapon? And a citizen came by and helped me out. Man, that was my best friend for life. You know, we were, we got him recognition that from the chief of police, and it came out in the newspaper. And, no better feeling than when a citizen comes up and offers to help when you're needing it. I mean, it's lonely being out there. Yeah, the next best feeling is hearing those sirens coming as your backup. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. anyway, all right, guys. Well, hey, this brings to an end. Like I said, this is this was such a great episode. And and again, a hats off to Quincy brothers. Stay safe up there. Uh, you're doing well. You're doing the Lord's work. Just uh, as he said, don't be complacent. So. If you enjoyed that podcast, if you enjoyed this two-part episode, Steve, we went back to two parts. So yes, we yay. did. 
because our listeners wanted today. Thank y'all. It's fans first, man. Whatever you guys want, that's what we're here. We want to make this a great experience for you guys. So if you enjoyed that, head on over to Apple Podcast, hit that five stars. Also, go to Spotify, hit those five stars too. It's magic. We don't know how it's done. It's Disney. You know, it's David Copperfield. It's all those good things rolled into one. We just know it works. Also, head on over to GameofCrimesPodcast.com for more info about the show. We'll update it. We'll add merch, books, again, uh, things like that. Follow us on the social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be is PayPal.com. And like I said, we will be Patreon. PayPal. <laughs> Patreon. Now, first of all, we go to PayPal.com if you want to. So oh, see, this is, we're tired. Oh, I mean, Hello. even though I got some sleep. Yeah, but just uh, PayPal.com, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com. Use that or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes. But now, where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be. <laughs> be both places, but at least be on Patreon. And uh, like I said, we will be releasing in the next couple of weeks at the um, – Guardian of the Realm and Warden of the Throne levels only uh, is the real DEA Narcos on the real DEA Narcos Cali edition. 15 episodes. The final episode is a two hour long finale. Uh, it is, I'm telling you, Steve, between you, between what we did with you and JP and what we're doing with Chris and Dave, it is the most complete history of the cartels, the Medellin and the Cali cartel, I think, yep. ever put together anywhere. Yeah, and one other thing to mention here is is those on Patreon, you know, we have the uh, the series, You Can't Make This Shit Up. While we were in San Diego, an officer came up and told us a story, and we recorded it. <laughs> so you're going to hear it. it we will funny. be playing that live uh, the middle of this month. So it'll come out uh, like around June 15th or June 16th. Uh, we will put out You Can't Make This Shit Up. We actually have a live story yep. from someone who is there. And let me tell you what, <laughs> after listening to the story, you're going to say, nope, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> It's good stuff. So, hey, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for hanging in here with us, for giving your opinion of things. We're here to try to make you happy and provide what you want to hear. So thanks for logging in when we have questions, and God bless y'all. You just almost said we're from the government. We're here to help. I just, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> hey, guys, so hey, thank you. And we really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for weighing in. We're going to do as hard as we can. A lot of it's driven by the guests. Oh, one teaser. Uh, and this, Steve, I just made a command decision because you and I actually talked about it. We actually have been introduced to somebody who was a victim of human trafficking. Oh, yeah. Was uh, this? This is this is this is a story so incredible. We're getting it set up. We hope to get it done. We'll let you guys know. But this is one of those episodes when we do that. Uh, we probably will not be doing anything funny or humorous, no small town right. police, because this is one of those episodes. It deserves the respect of this is a victim of crime. Yep. And we want to make sure and, – and let me tell you, um, we learned – we got this from the Southern California Gang Conference. So if you think this stuff is good now, we're, we're, we're elevating our game, and this will be a big, big uh, episode for us. You know, I met her out there a few years ago when we were at the same conference, uh, and her story is horrific. But it shows you what can happen out there in the world, man. This is not a safe place no matter where you go. And this person was not involved in a life of crime. This person wasn't a vulnerable member of society, wasn't on the fringes and stuff. This was a person um, who was groomed, let's say. We'll just say groomed and recruited yeah. in a very nefarious and scary way. So we leave it at that. But we got a lot of good stuff coming up for you. But the only way you can find out what we got coming up for you is you have to stay tuned and you have to keep playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 